Let's start our Dhamma talk with the Namatasa. Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa. Tonight I'm going to talk about the gang of three. Although we live in a free country and we are free to do what we want to do, actually we are not as free as we might think. In other words, our freedom rests on a very uh, superficial level. When we start to have a closer look at this thing called freedom, we come to see that we are actually Slaves, slaves of the gang of three. What or who this gang of three is, I will explain in a minute. Let's take this example. You know, you are free to have an ice cream whenever you want. So you either you open your freezer and take out some ice cream or you stop at the next shop and get your ice cream. Or the same thing could be applied to any other food or drinks. Like if you are uh, if you like coffee, yes, you're free to have your coffee whenever you like. Or you are free to have your chocolate whenever you like. You are free to have your pizza whenever you like. So, let's have a look at the first example. So, we are free to have an ice cream whenever you want. So, is that real freedom? Or is it not just some compulsive reaction to some mostly unnoticed desire, craving, or wanting. Knowing from myself, I have been a slave uh, of the Gang of Three many, many times. I have been following this desire unconsciously and taking this for freedom, the freedom of choice. The sequence of events is very simple. First, there is this desire for some ice cream. And this desire for ice cream might have been triggered by some ads. Or maybe it was just a memory or um, something you saw and which remembered you of ice cream. 
And so then, based on this desire for ice cream, the mind immediately starts to figure out how this desire can be gratified. And if you are at home and if you have some ice cream in your freezer, then the body starts to walk towards the freezer almost automatically. The hand opens the freezer, takes out the ice cream, puts a good portion of your favorite ice cream into a bowl, and then the body starts eating it. So then the desire has been gratified. The experience was pleasant, and so you feel happy and satisfied. And when the ball is empty, automatic pilot walks back to the kitchen, puts the ball into the sink. So in this sequence of events, there has been very little freedom, but a lot of habitual and compulsive actions. And the same can be applied to any other kind of food or a drink that you take, have your cup of coffee or have your pizza, whatever. So in other words, being subject to these habitual and compulsive actions means that we are slaves, slaves of the gang of three. And by now you might have figured out what or who this gang of three is. It's none other than greed, hatred and delusion. So delusion is the boss of this gang and he has two very able helpers namely greed and hatred. If the boss, delusion, would not exist, then also his helpers, greed and hatred, would not exist. For greed and hatred to exist, they depend on their boss, they depend on delusion. So if we want to become really free, then we have to make this gang of three powerless. As long as this gang of three can exercise its influence, then we are not yet really free and uh, liberated. The Buddha stated very clearly that the main cause for our unsatisfactory state is not knowing or delusion, ignorance, meaning not knowing the true nature of things or being ignorant about how things really are. What we unenlightened uh, beings think is real is just a 
distorted and perverted view of reality. And because this distorted and perverted view of reality is all that we know, then our actions of body, speech and our thoughts are based on that. And this heavily conditioned way of uh, behavior has been, has been going on for many, many years. And not only that, for many lifetimes. And so it's no wonder it is so deeply rooted. And the result of this basic delusion is disastrous. Human beings, other beings, are beset by problems, by, prob uh, by troubles, misery, grief, despair, frustration, expectations and longing and jealousy and having nightmares and being indolent and so on. People want to have things a certain way that they can be happy. But unfortunately the world very seldom matches their desires, matches their views or expectations. And therefore to have expectations, be fixed to certain views, is a sure way to suffer. So if we want to, uh, if we base our happiness on uh, things matching our expectations and desires, then we will never uh, get happiness. And making our happiness depend on our desires and expectations fulfilled, this is actually what is called madness. In the Abhidhamma, there it is said that human beings are to be considered as being mad. So here we are, a bunch of mad and insane, insane people. But at least, I think each of us is trying very hard to get cured from this uh, serious and deadly illness. So the way out of this madness or insanity is to overcome our deep-seated delusion and to give up our conventional ideas of happiness and peace, give them up once and for all. But this is actually not such an easy task. Because we are deluded, we are actually not aware that we live in delusion. Because we are steeped in ignorance, we actually are not aware that we are ignorant. For those beings who have become fully liberated, the enlightened ones, it is so clear that things are just the way they are, that things are a certain way. 
but for deluded beings this is not obvious at all. And the Buddha knew that and after he had become uh, enlightened he actually hesitated to uh, start teaching because he thought that nobody would be able to grasp to grasp what he had discovered. What the Buddha had discovered was the Dhamma or things as they are, the laws of nature. And so the Dhamma is actually clearly visible in this world, at least for those with no dust in their eyes. But for those who have some dust in their eyes, the ignorant ones, it's extremely difficult to see and understand. That is why uh, it is said about the Dhamma that it is deep and profound, hard to see and hard to penetrate. The following sutta illustrates this deep-seated delusion in quite an amazing or amusing uh, way. At one time, the Buddha was teaching the Dhamma to a group of five men. And as the Buddha was speaking, one of these five men fell asleep. Another one dug the earth with his finger. The third one was shaking a tree next to him. The fourth one was gazing at the sky. And only one men listened attentively and respectfully uh, to the Buddha's Dhamma talk. At that time, Venerable Ananda, the Buddha's attendant, stood next to the Buddha, fanning him. And so, Venerable Ananda saw the disrespectful conduct of four of these men and he pointed it out to the Buddha. Venerable Ananda could not understand how this man could sit there being so disrespectful towards the Buddha. And so, having pointed it out to the Buddha, the Buddha told Ananda, the man who sits there falling asleep, soundly asleep, he was reborn as a snake in 500 of his past existences. And in each of these existences as a snake, he laid his head into his coils and fell asleep. And so therefore, at the present time, he is also soundly asleep. Then the man who is sitting there digging the earth with his finger he was reborn in 500 of his existences as a worm, an earthworm. <laughs> and that's why also now, in this present existence, he's dugging uh, the earth with his finger. Now the man who is sitting there shaking the tree next to him, he was born as a monkey 
in 500 of his past existences. And out of the sheer uh, force of habit acquired in these past existences, he still continues to shake trees. Then the man sitting there, gazing at the sky, he was reborn in 500 of his past existences as an astrologer looking at the stars. And so therefore, today as well, he is gazing at the sky. Now, the man who sits there listening attentively to the Dhamma, he was reborn in 500 of his past existences as a Brahmin versed in the three Vedas, the ancient Indian uh, scriptures. And so in this 500 existences, he was always devoted to studying and learning the scriptures. He was devoted to listen to his teachers. And so, so therefore, today, he is also listening attentively and respectfully. So after uh, Venerable Ananda had heard this explanation given by the Buddha, he was still amazed how four of these men could not listen uh, to the Buddha attentively, whose exposition of the Dhamma was, as Venerable Ananda thought, like cleaving the skin and penetrating to the marrow of the bones. But the Buddha then continued to explain to Venabalananda that the Dhamma was not as easy to listen to as he had imagined, but that it was actually quite difficult. And after that, Venabalananda then wanted to know why these four men were unable to listen to the Buddha's talk. And so, then the Buddha said, Ananda, we are unable to do so because of greed, hatred, and delusion. Before long, the meditators will come to realize that Greed or wanting is one of the very strong motivating forces for our actions. It's wanting this, not wanting that. The desire to do this, the desire not to do that. Or the craving for some nice sensual input or the craving to get away from some unpleasant sensual input. Besides greed or wanting as one of the main unwholesome factors, its flip side is not wanting. That's another of the main unwholesome factors. And not wanting 
This is aversion, ill will, hatred, anger, resentment, dislike, and so on. So wanting and not wanting are like the two sides of a coin. If you have a coin, so if you have the front side, then you also have the back side. To have only the front side of the coin without having its back side, that's simply not possible. Some years ago I was teaching a meditation retreat in Czech Republic. And at that time, one of the meditators was also a writer. And later I came to know that she wrote a very short uh, fairy tale. <coughs> I'd like to relate this to you. Once upon a time, there was the back of the hand. And the back of the hand did not like the palm of the hand. Therefore, the back of the hand made an application to the authorities asking to relinquish the palm of the hand. The application was approved and the palm of the hand was relinquished. End of the fairy tale. <laughs> so the first member of this gang of three is Loba. Greed, wanting, craving, desire, in all its different forms. And the classical description for the characteristic of loba in all its form um, is stickiness. <coughs> and it's illustrated or it's uh, compared to uh, putting a piece of meat on a hot pan. Then the piece of meat will firmly stick to this hot iron pan. A friend of mine had been uh, meditating in a center in Sri Lanka many years ago. And he told me how the Sri Lankan master explained and illustrated this sticky nature of Loba. And apparently, this Sri Lankan meditation master, he put his hands like this interlocking the fingers uh, like that, holding them uh, together, and then with very lively movements trying to pull apart the two hands. And apparently he went on like this. <coughs> and on and on and on and on. And after quite a while, then the nun who had to translate for this master said, Pante, I think it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, this friend of mine, he never forgot the sticky nature of Loba. And as he showed it to me in very much the same way, it also firmly stuck 
to my mind. <laughs> Another way to explain the characteristic of greed, like the sticky nature, and how it traps us in the cycle of birth and death. This is illustrated with the monkey trap. Apparently, in some places in Asian countries, they use a special trap to catch monkeys. So, one takes an empty coconut, coconut shell, and on the bottom, making a hole, attaching uh, a rope, and then fixing the rope to a pole or to a tree. And then one puts some sweets into the empty coconut, because apparently monkeys also like sweets. And after that, they put a cover on top of it, and in the cover, cover there is a hole. And this hole is just big enough for the monkey to put in uh, his hands. And the monkey smelling the hand, uh, smelling the sweets, so puts the hand inside, grabs the sweets, and then is not able to pull out the closed fist anymore. And so it's by the sheer uh, wanting, desire, or craving for the sweets that the monkey is trapped. The monkey would only need to let go of the sweets and then he would be able to pull out his hand. But once the sweets are grasped, then the monkey does not let go anymore. And so it's through this craving uh, attachment that the monkey is trapped. All the teachers of the old and in the present time that happiness and peace are not gained by wanting or holding on but that peace and happiness are gained by letting go. Achan Cha, the well-known Thai forest uh, teacher, he said, if you let go a little bit, you will get a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will get a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will get complete peace. For example, you know, if you hold something in your hand with the palm facing down, then because you are afraid of losing it, you hold on firmly to it. You don't open your fingers. You hold the thing in your fist. So that's holding on. But actually, one would only need to have a different attitude to things. Namely like turning the hand around. So now one can let go and the thing is still with one. One doesn't lose it. 
So letting go, letting go. This is the magic word. Letting go of craving, wanting, desire, holding on, or attachment. At one time the Buddha said, nothing whatsoever is worth to be clung to. And this also refers that not even the most blissful states of mind are worth to be clung to. Because if there is clinging, then that's not yet it. So, final liberation, or Nibbāna, is attained by letting go. By letting go of greed, hatred and delusion. Talking about Nibbāna is always somehow difficult or problematic because uh, it's so difficult to explain what Nibbāna is. But in one of the less mysterious moments, the Buddha defined Nibbāna as the absence of greed, hatred and delusion. People want to become enlightened, they want to become liberated, and therefore they engage in all different kinds of activities. And in their delusion, they think that enlightenment is just another thing that they can get in the same way as they get a new car or as they get a new job. People are looking very hard but unfortunately they are looking at the wrong place. They are looking into the wrong uh, direction. It's true that people have to look very carefully, um, but they don't have to look for something out there, but rather they would need to look very carefully uh, to see how things really are. If one would look very carefully and attentively at things to discover how they truly are, this would be enough to make this gang of three powerless. The flip side of greed, wanting, attachment is aversion, hatred, ill will, resentment and so on. Because we do not want what is, then we react with aversion or hatred, anger and so on. Wanting can be compared to the hand stretching out and then grasping, holding. Whereas aversion and ill will is like the hand pushing away. The nature of aversion, or dosa in Pali, is said to be harshness or ferocity. So when it's present, 
then it's harsh, it's rough, it's coarse, it's also uh, wild and unbridled. And anger, aversion, hatred easily develops into stronger forms like violence. And when it becomes stronger, then it also becomes a mind-altering emotion that uh, can have devastating effect on the ability uh, to think clearly or to make appropriate decisions. Incredible harm and misery has been created and is still being created through anger and aversion. And so it is is the second member of this gang of three. In the case of anger, if a person gets angry, then this person is very quick to blame somebody else or something else as the cause for his or her anger. So it all, it's always something out there which is the cause of one's anger. So it can be the weather, the traffic jam, the noisy neighbor, or the loudspeakers, whatever. But looking at the situation uh, in this way is based on a completely distorted view of reality. And so this is the basic ignorance, not knowing how things really are, not understanding how things uh, function. And with the presence of ignorance, then one identifies very quickly with situations, with things, and this identification is based on the sense of a me, self, or ego. Some years ago, we had a foreign meditator meditating at our forest center in Mobi, in Burma. He was of an aversive nature, and he was also quite fussy about things. Things in his room or in the meditation hall needed to be the way he wanted them to be. And so he spent quite some time of trying to get things the way he needed them to have. So in the, uh, especially at the beginning when he arrived, very often he either went to the office or came to me saying that he needed this. The next day he needed that. And then he needed yet another thing and another thing. And many of the things he needed would have been very easy to get in a Western country, but such little things were um, sometimes very, um, were a bit more difficult to get by in Burma. And so it sometimes would take 
some time until he could get him what he needed. Could take a day or two or three days. And so every time he had come with another need, another want, when he didn't get it immediately or within a short time, he got quite upset and angry, just angry at the fact that things needed uh, such a long time. And so after some time, um, one morning after breakfast, he came to my kuti, to my room, and he had a question, and he asked me that, so I answered that. And after I had answered the question, then he continued to talk, just airing out his frustration. Basically, he was complaining about all these difficult situations which, according to him, were the cause for his anger. And so, after patiently listening to him, when he finally had finished, I simply said to him, you know, anger is never caused by anything external, but anger arises because there is ignorance in the mind. And hearing these words, he just turned around and walked away. It's probably not what he wanted to hear. <laughs> the third member of this gang of three is moha, ignorance or not knowing. And moha is the boss of this gang. Without him, the other two, Loba and Dosa, would not be there. And Moha's biggest concern is to be revealed. His biggest concern is that reality is discovered. Because if things are seen as they really are, then ignorance, Moha, could no longer exist. That would be Moha's death. When things are seen as they truly are, in the light of wisdom, then ignorance disappears into nothing. So, not seeing things as they truly are, what does this mean? One way of explaining it is that ignorance takes things to be permanent, whereas things uh, are impermanent. Ignorance takes things to be satisfactory, whereas things are actually unsatisfactory. Ignorance takes things to be personal, endowed with a self, whereas actually things are impersonal, they are devoid of an inherently existing self. And ignorance takes things to be beautiful and attractive, whereas in reality things 
are not beautiful or ugly. So ignorance or delusion, not knowing, is not just not knowing where the GPO is or it's not the inability to memorize a poem or it's not the ignorance of not knowing how to uh, run a printing machine or it's not the ignorance that takes Switzerland to be one of the states of the USA. On my very first trip to Australia as a backpacker, I took a bus from Sydney to Brisbane. And I was sitting next to this young Australian woman. And so we were talking and she said that she was going to visit her parents in Brisbane. And in the course of our conversation, she asked where I was from originally. And so I said, from Switzerland. And then she looked over, uh, over to me and said, well, uh, sorry, which part of the U.S. is Switzerland? <laughs> so that was not the ignorance that the Buddha was talking about. <laughs> ignorance is this basic wrong notion of what we are and what the world around us is. So it's a deeply deluded view of ourselves and the universe. It's like having never seen the real flower, one takes the shadow for the real thing. So people take things for um, permanent, whereas they are impermanent. They take things to be satisfactory, whereas they are not satisfactory. They take things to be personal, whereas things are not personal. They take things to be beautiful and attractive, whereas in reality they are not beautiful or attractive. So in our meditation practice, we are told to mindfully observe whatever arises in this body and mind. And so when mindfulness is present, then actually with each moment of mindfulness, we weaken the force of delusion. For example, when we are mindfully observing a thought, we come to see that this thought was actually very fleeting and momentary. And so the mind, or we come to see the fleeting, impermanent nature of the thought. Or we are observing some pain in the knee, a stabbing pain. And because it's painful and unpleasant, we might want to get rid of this stepping pain, but then actually we have to admit that we cannot exercise power over this pain. 
we can't just make it go away. So we come to see that this pain, this process, is, does not belong to us. We don't have control over it. So we see it's a rather impersonal process. Or at other times, we, we might be in a very blissful state of mind. And the mind is joyous and blissful and happy. But then, at one stage, this blissful state of mind will uh, disappear. And so not having the blissful state any longer, um, we get disappointed. It's gone. And so we come to see its unsatisfactory nature. So in this way, and many other instances, we gradually come to see phenomena arising in our body and mind are fleeting, they change, they are impermanent. We come to see that we have no absolute uh, control over them, but that they just arise and disappear of their own accord. And we also come to see that because things are changing all the time and because we don't have uh, full mastery over them, they are actually unsatisfactory. They cannot be the base for real and lasting happiness or satisfaction. And so with each moment of mindfulness, then that um, removes a tiny little bit of greed, hatred, and delusion. But compared to the huge mass of greed, hatred and delusion, this tiny little bit that has been removed is almost invisible. But if the practice is repeatedly done and over an extended period of time, then eventually uh, it will become visible and apparent. For this, the Buddha took the example of the handle of an axe. So a carpenter who is using his axe every day, he cannot see how much of the handle, of the wooden handle, um, has been worn down on one particular day. But after a certain period of time, after a number of months or years, then the carpenter actually can see that the wooden handle of the axe has been worn down, that it is not the same as it had been when the axe was new. And so likewise, even though greed, hatred and delusion are just reduced tiny little bits at the time, but doing it over an extended period of time and repeatedly, then after some time, the reduction of greed, hatred and delusion will become apparent. It will become visible. 
And so each tiny bit of greed that has been removed gives room in the mind for non-greed to arise. And non-greed is generosity, liberality. And each tiny little bit of aversion that has been removed gives rise for non-aversion to arise. And non-aversion is uh, loving-kindness, friendliness, benevolence. And each tiny little bit of delusion that has been removed gives room for non-delusion to arise. And non-delusion, that's understanding, insight, or wisdom. And so, if one perseveres with one's practice, then one day, the day will come when the last traces of greed, hatred, and delusion are, are completely overcome, when they have been completely removed. And with the absence of greed, hatred and delusion, then we are liberated, then we have attained Nibbāna. Another way of expressing ignorance or not knowing how things truly are, is not knowing, not understanding the Four Noble Truths. And we know that in his very first discourse after his enlightenment, the Buddha exposed these Four Noble Truths. And even um, after... Uh, telling these Four Noble Truths in his very first discourse, the Buddha didn't get tired, tired of mentioning these Four Noble Truths time and again uh, in his discourses throughout his life. So one day, the Buddha and the group of monks um, were staying in a certain place. And then the Buddha said, let's go to a peak called Inspiration Peak for the day's abiding. And so, and the Buddha and these monks were walking towards Inspiration Peak. And one monk saw a very steep precipice. And he said to the Buddha, this precipice is really very steep. That precipice is extremely frightful. And he asked the Buddha, is there a precipice deeper and more frightful than this one? And the Buddha replied that indeed there was one that was steeper and more frightful, frightening. And so then the monk wanted to know what it was. And so then the Buddha said that it was basically not understanding the Four Noble Truths. And the Buddha said, 
living beings tumble down the precipice of birth, aging and death. They tumble down the precipice of sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. So because of not understanding these Four Noble Truths, living beings tumble down the steep and extremely frightening precipice of repeated birth. As I already said, the Dhamma is clearly visible. It's not hidden uh, somewhere, but it's openly displayed everywhere and at all times. It's happening in us and around us all the time without a break. We do not need to get a special initiation to be able to see it or understand it. If we, look, if we would look very attentively and very carefully, then we could immediately see and recognize it. It's like this little star in the constellation of the Big Dipper that I never saw until a friend of mine pointed it out to me. When I was young, I was very fond of looking at the stars uh, at night. And I knew quite a number of uh, constellations and the Big Dipper was one of them. It was easy to detect in the sky and I was very well familiar with these uh, seven stars which make uh, the Big Dipper. And so one night as I was looking at the stars with a friend of mine, then she said, do you see this little star accompanying one of the main stars of the Big Dipper? And she explained me which of these main stars was accompanied by a smaller uh, star. And I looked up at the sky and I couldn't see it. But she said, look, look, it's there. Uh, you can, uh, I can clearly see it. And so again, I looked up and tried to figure it out. But still, I could not see it. And again, she said, but look, it's there. It's so clear, it's so obvious. And so again, I looked up. And yes, there it was. Now I could clearly see it. And I was amazed to, to realize that during all these years of looking at the Big Dipper, I had never noticed this smaller star, although it was there, very clearly visible. Although I had eyes, I was blind. This is the state of affairs for most beings. Ignorance is said to be like a thick veil that prevents beings from seeing what actually is there. Sometimes I think it's not only a thick veil, 
that prevents us from seeing things clearly, but actually it's a one meter thick concrete wall. So by deeply reflecting on the Gang of Three and the frightening work, a a strong sense of of urgency can arise. And with this sense of urgency, we may look at our lives and uh, see what our priorities in life are. In a way, it's quite a frightening picture and the prospect of endlessly tumbling down the precipice is not very uplifting. So how much longer do we want to be the slaves of ignorance? How much longer do we want to be tortured by this gang of three? How many more tears do we want to shed about the loss of our beloved ones? How many more times do we want to undergo excruciating pain? So it's up to us, it's up to each of us. We are fortunate enough to live in a place and during a time when the Buddha's teaching is freely available. So actually we have no excuses for not seriously practicing it. Well, I don't need to tell uh, you. You are here and all of you are practicing wholeheartedly. So, let's rejoice in our commitment to lessen greed, hatred, and delusion, and to make this gang of three powerless. May all of you be able to become fully liberated, free from greed, hatred, and delusion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.